And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. That is hammered. Oh, my. Man, that ball got out of here in a hurry. You know, anything travels that far, I'd have a damn stewardess on it, don't you think? This is a simple game. You throw the ball, you hit the ball, you catch the ball. You got it? You're listening to The Roundtable with Grant Brisby, Andy McCullough, and Mark Carrig on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode number 80 of The Roundtable. I'm Grant Brisby, here with Anna McCullough and Mark Carrig. Mark, how are you doing today? Oh, fantastic. No, I'm not fantastic. A pipe broke in the kitchen. It's an absolute disaster. And there are workers coming through and trying to fix it. Um, no, so I'm not fantastic. I'm lying to you. I'm uh, sorry about I've that. I've been better, but it's okay. I could be an Eagles fan. So anyway. Segwaying to Andy. How are you doing, Andy? Hey, we finally found something leakier than the Philadelphia Eagles defense, the pipes in Mark's house. (laughs) Bazinga. (laughs) I'm done with the Eagles. You know, I faked my way back into being a fan last year. I'm done. I'm back. I'm agnostic again. I'm a journalist, okay? Look, I am a journalist, and I take my impartiality and my credibility very seriously, very seriously. And I cannot compromise that by throwing my remote at the television as Matt Patrishka's defense just acts like an actual sieve. The tackling, did you see the tackling last night? Wasn't great. Wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, that was bad on, the, on that one. Yeah, where the, whatever. The, the rookie guy sprang free and uh, that was a bad tackle. Like, there was like four plays. Like, you're, what, yeah. Which play are you talking about, Grant? Which 60-yard touchdown pass with 50 yards after the catch were you talking about? You know, at least they got a lot better when they made that change, that defensive coordinator, huh? That just spells like textbook fail-up nonsense or, or stab in the back. Matt Patricia, like, come on, come on. Isn't isn't the book out on this guy already? And so then you watch what the disgrace that they've become the last <laughs> six weeks and that it's, you know, because guys can't tackle. Or or what was that one play? I love that one play where um, the, the defensive backs run into each other. They, they set a pick for the other team. Like, holy mackerel. There were actual two plays like that. Yeah, oh. I don't know. It, it does suggest that... Um, that uh, the head man, Nick Sirianni, might not have the sauce long-term. And I, w- I, I don't know. People don't. People actually probably do listen to this for our football takes because I don't know why sickos uh, would listen to this podcast otherwise, unless they're trying to, like, get Mark fired. Um, but 
it is hard to envision the birds not seriously considering making a change, considering, you know, Belichick, Vrabel, Pete Carroll, and uh, Jim Harbaugh are all available. So who knows? Who knows? You know, Harbaugh it could be a new day. Harbaugh would be so funny. Yeah, there's no chance it'll be Harbaugh. Pete Carroll would be kind of fun. I don't know. I don't know if that'd be an upgrade or a downgrade. So, yeah, not a ton going on this week. Uh, we can't really fill 45 minutes with Jordan Hicks. Uh, granted, did you go on any travels recently? <laughs> I went to Tucson, Arizona this weekend, uh, I'll have you know. I hand-fed an ostrich. Uh, they're bitey, but they don't have teeth. Uh, I saw Calexico perform with the Tucson Symphony Orchestra. Uh, it was just a delightful uh, family getaway, just for a little long uh, three-day weekend. So um, that's what I did. Nothing did baseball. you bring the ostrich? I wish, I wish. I did write about Jordan Hicks in a hotel room, though. So Have you called into KNBR suggesting the Giants should sign the ostrich? Well, no, they need to get a minor leaguer with that nickname. I mean, come on, ostrich hats? You kidding me? You could do like little ostrich backpacks. You could do all sorts of things with an ostrich. Uh, so I'm just going to go on to Baseball America, pull up a list, um, pick one guy, and that's the ostrich. And if I'll keep writing about him. And if he breaks through, I get, what, 20% of the cut of the ostrich hats? I am fascinated by the relief pitchers that keep saying, no, no, really, I'm a starter. Oh, really? I'm a starting pitcher. Try, no, for real. Let me start some ball games. Because I, I covered Seth Lugo with the Mets. And this was Seth Lugo for years and years and years. I, I'll do whatever they want. I'm a starter, though. No, really. I can start. And then finally, the San Diego Padres kind of listened to it. He was right. Dude's a starting pitcher, right? Like in that, He's a rich he's, one now. Yeah, I mean, no, look at him. He's a starting pitcher. That's great. So I, I am, I've always been interested in that, right? People make calls about players, like starting pitchers, pretty early in their careers. This is what they are, and that's that. And I wonder if there's something to re-examining that whole idea, just because there's so much more, so many more ways to measure why a pitcher is having success that you would think that would make it easier to reconsider some of those decisions. And I, and I always wonder too, like how much of that is you've been told that you're this and a player just sort of believing it at some point. So it is fascinating. I'm not saying that, you know, I, I don't know what the Giants thinking is on, on Hicks in particular, but I think in general, I think that's a fun one. And, and I, and I wonder if, you know, we see a little bit more openness in these scenarios where, you know, because we're talking about in Hicks and Seth Lugo, guys who are like major league players that have done something, like there's some track record there. Right. Nick um, Martinez, too. Right. Nick right, Martinez right. just signed with the Reds is, and, you know, planning to start. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, is this a thing? I wonder. With uh, Hicks, he has a really interesting career path where he's drafted out of high school, right? And then he comes up when he's 20, 21. I mean, really early. He skipped double A and triple A came up straight from high A and because he could throw a million miles per hour didn't really know where he's going before that he was a starter but the Cardinals said no 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 this this cat throws triple digits he can fit in a bullpen right now they were right um but he never lost that bug where it's like no I, I really want to start I started my whole career I envisioned myself as a starter I don't think the Giants think he's a starter I think that was kind of the price of admission 
And they're in a, a position where they can go like, yeah, knock yourself out for a couple months. I mean, we're not really seeing it, but you're basically a, a, an opener for us, which we might have used anyway. We've got a bunch of young pitchers we want to see who can stick in a rotation. It, it aligned. And so I, I really don't think they, they believe like, oh, well, wink, wink. We've got the secret sauce here. We've got a starter now, uh, but they're going to let him try. So, you know, go nuts. Well, I also think, too, you, Mark, you raised the question of, you know, do guys start believing what they're told about themselves, right? And this was maybe, yeah, like 10 years ago, I was talking with, this probably with some Royals people about the idea of, you know, starters versus relievers. And one of their people said to me something that I think is really true, even though it comes across as kind of harsh. But he was basically saying, you know, all relievers are broken in some way. Right, They're starting pitchers who somewhere along the way there was some box they couldn't check on the starting pitcher checklist, you know, so it's like maybe they can't like, uh, you know, they don't have a third pitch or like they can't sustain velocity or, um, you know, they, they don't do well, you know, a third time through the order or they struggle with the running game or there's something wrong with them that moves them out of the pool, right? Well, we've reached a point where, like, okay, you don't have a third pitch. Hey, Kevin Gaussman, come on down. You know, do you have an elite first pitch? You know, we can we can do that with the starting pitchers. It's like, oh, you can only make it two times through, you know, two times through the order. Congratulations, Blake Snell just won another Cy Young. You know, all the the, the standards of what a starting pitcher is have changed more so in the last you know five to ten years than they probably had in the previous you know. 20? I don't know. I could be wrong about that. But, like, it, no, you know, the barrier for entry is a lot lower. So if you can get Jordan Hicks, you know, healthy in the strike zone once every fifth day for, you know, 75 pitches, eh, give it a shot. You know, see what it looks like because that is probably going to be more valuable than him making, you know, 60 to 70 appearances in, in relief. Yeah. That all tracks. That all tracks. And I, you, I think that what you're saying about the, the role of starting pitchers, uh, 100% is true. It's just, it's not the way it used to be where, yeah, that third lack of third pitch, yeah, we can't have you. It's like, no, you're going to be throwing four innings anyway, five innings anyway. That's just that's just how it is unless you're uh, like a young Justin Furlander or, or, or Logan Webb or someone like that. Like, it's just, it, yeah. I think that all tracks, and you might see more of this. I, I'm trying to think of other relievers who might uh, have a yen to start, and I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there there's some that still think, like, boy, if I got my shot. Um, I remember asking Brandon Morrow uh, about... You know, do you want? Do you still have that urge to start? And he's like, no, so much better in the bullpen. Yeah, he's, he's laughing yeah. me off. So there are some people who are predisposed to yeah. it, but I bet you there's some people who are like, no, get me back in there. Yeah, well, Brandon Morrow, you know, who had a wonderful career, you know, ended up having really made a great career for himself despite a lot of things going wrong. Like Brandon Morrow wasn't forced by a team to become a reliever. Right, the game made him a reliever because his body couldn't handle it, and he became an elite reliever for a time. You know, and that there's a difference, I think, when there's someone like who Mark's talking about Lugo, who they're like, yeah, we just don't see you as a starter, versus like the game kind of demonstrates that you're not a starter. What you're talking about, Andy, about the lower barrier for entry, is interesting. I mean, we've all seen it, but as I watch it, like I, I remember just thinking to myself how much easier it would be to like manage pitchers if you have like a video game life meter on all of them <laughs> you know like you can yeah. tell like yeah if you're playing the show and like you could see the fatigue bar like if that actually existed for people and, and what you would find right is that they very i mean not rarely but it doesn't 
there's a lot of times in the sport where that fatigue bar, if you will, doesn't really correlate to the buckets we've created. So, for instance, and you talk about, you know, Grant talk about Morrow and like people in the bullpen. What, when I've talked to relievers, like a lot of what they like about being in the bullpen is mental, knowing that they're probably going to throw again the next day so that if it goes good or bad or whatever, they're going to get a shot right away. That so many of them, one thing I heard so much of when I would talk to them about this stuff was the four day wait was torture. Okay, then you talk to the relief or the, I'm sorry, the starters. And something you'd hear about them is some people wanted to throw sooner than their fifth day because they felt like they bounced back faster. And some just, it would be like day seven until they felt like they were all the way back. And so the second their previous start was done was just race against the clock to kind of get themselves ready to go however they could. And I find like if the barrier for entry for starting pitcher is lower, what we're really saying is that that role is totally, re it's getting more chipped away and redefined. And, and, and so I think it now opens the possibilities for more of these things like, Who's to, why does a pitcher have to go every five days? Yes, it's better for your schedule and it's a sort of this, it makes sense arbitrarily, right? But is that really the best um, performance that you're going to get out of a person? Like everybody's so different, all right? And so maybe this is a way for the sport to finally kind of account for those differences because really they've never accounted for those differences until now, all right? Like if you're a starting pitcher, the expectation was every five days. Actually, it's more now right? Like it's really six in a lot of cases. Okay. But even still, like, what about the guy who might feel better, like going every four days, right? Like those people exist too. So, and, and I don't know, I just saw this thing about the NBA, like load management, like their claim that it doesn't really, you know, impact injury or whatever. Like, I think there's some, to some extent, there's, there's some of that going on in baseball, I would think like not all the way, obviously, like, there's some like tie in for overuse or whatever, but I don't know. I wonder if there's a wider berth to be able to kind of maneuver around some of those things. When the Giants were using an opener two times, three times through the rotation, sometimes the common complaint on on Twitter was, "Oh my gosh, they're 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 ruining their bullpen. They're ruining their bullpen. They're they're just everyone's gas." But that wasn't it. It it was he had Mania. He would go for three innings one day, and there would be Junis the next day, and you'd have Alex Wood going this. And what they really had was kind of like a quasi eight nine man rotation. Um, and they had like if you look at how many innings, how many pitches Jacob Junis through um it's it's fewer than the typical you know starter it's it's very reliever ish but he was basically a starter and i think that's how teams are going to start looking at things is, is less um we have a five-man rotation and then we've got our relievers we got one long guy and we, now you're going to start seeing you know quasi eight-man rotations or maybe not an eight-man rotation but like a a 12, 13 man bullpen in a way. It's just going to be, you know, a uh, rose of a different name or color, whatever that saying is. We're all going to be outgetters. <laughs> we're all, yeah, we're just, you know, and we're going to, I will say that even though I said that, Sean Manai didn't like his role. I mean, he was a, a yeah, team player. I mean, yeah. You know, he, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. But you see, he signs with the Mets. He's like, no, I want to freaking start. I'm good at it. So much of, you know, doing something outside the perceived norm the perception, I don't know why I use perception twice, but whatever. The, 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 the way it's absorbed matters a lot based on results. So, for example, the Dodgers are going to do a six-man rotation this year. 
They might not call it a six-man rotation. There might not be a designated six-man. But the pitchers will have probably five days of rest as much as possible in between starts. And you know how I know that? Because they did it last year. And that was before they had Yoshinobu Yamamoto, okay? Like, if you look at last year, their, their four main starters, the majority of them pitched the majority of their outings on extra rest, quote-unquote extra rest. And so I think when your teams who are sort of assembling, um, you know, a roster, you can't – I mean, this has been this way for almost 10 years, that the, that, that the smartest teams, or at least the teams who had been trying to get ahead of this, hadn't looked at it as we need five guys who can throw for 1,000 innings. They were like, we have 1,000 innings. How do we – like, how do we do that? How do we get our thousand innings taken care of? And you know, it might be one guy takes two hundred, and another guy takes one fifty. How do you structure it so that the one fifty is you know sort of synced up properly so that he's you know ready to go in October, all that sort of stuff? So I would like to say that I deserve credit for neither mentioning that Brandon Morrow was taken fifth overall in the two thousand six draft, two slots ahead of Clayton Kershaw, and that Mark mentioned pitchers who like going on every fourth day. The last of his kind is due out May seventh. Of it, pre-orders are all. Uh, please pre-order the book, please, please. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I think it's I, I think it's going to be I you know this year will probably be seen with you know there's going to be so much focus on the Dodgers. It's a copycat league. Um, you will probably see teams being more open, and I'd have to actually look because I, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not Eno, like I'm not locked in on this on a day to day. I would be curious to know like how the how the best teams did their sort of days of rest. I think it's going to become more pronounced as you know year by year. But there's going to be such intense focus on the Dodgers that it's going to stop being seen as like, are you going to go to a six man? More as like, you got six guys, don't you? Yeah, I think there's something to that. Okay, as far as just not putting a label on it. Actually, just do it without calling it that. And, and it sort of takes away some of the um, sting. And, and you know, it, it's funny because baseball, I, I think we, we uh, see things like a starting rotation and feel like it's been that way forever. And it hasn't. You know, actually, there used to be like two pitchers on the staff <laughs> back. Like, you know, they yeah. throw like all the innings, right? Like, I mean, we have seen this evolve. Right. Like this is not something that's ever been static. So why would it just stop because it's five man rotation and a bullpen and a closer? Hell, the, the idea of like a straight up closer is relatively new. Right. Like that's not even that's within our lifetime that they invented this idea of a straight up closer, which, by the way, right, the idea of a straight up closer doesn't even, you know, there's no impact on how many times a team will win a ball game. Like, based on that specialization. It's my favorite fact. Like, in football, right? Like, field goal percentages keep skyrocketing. They climb and climb and climb and climb. In baseball, like, if you look at 1955 or now, like, the same percentage of teams win a ball game if they lead by two or three runs at the end of the game. Like, it's the, it as, actually hasn't changed. Is that is that right? for real? Yeah. Like, it hasn't changed very much. Whereas, like, I don't know, back then, did you see people kicking 50-yard field goals? No. Now they're chip shots. <laughs> yeah. So like that, you know, it's insane. And that's where specialization works. And baseball is where it doesn't work.
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the Internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Terms or restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Gonna take a little break uh, to promote Spindrift Water. Um, they're not a sponsor, but if they could send me uh, a couple <laughs> cases, shit's expensive, but it's delicious. So Spindrift Water, if you're out there, Spindrift. Let's go around and talk about the teams that uh, should have done more. And there's still time to do more, man. There's still Blake Snell. There's still Jordan Montgomery. Uh, so this is all uh, a little bit hasty. Um, but at the same time, there are some teams where I'm looking at them and going, come on, come on, you know, taking their pulse. Uh, what are you doing here? That sort of thing. Who wants to go first and uh, yell at a team? How many times are we going to say the Baltimore Orioles need a starting pitcher and then watch him not get a starting pitcher? That's what I was thinking of. So maybe we just yell at the Orioles for that. I mean, I, uh, you know, what, where is this like big takeoff, this, this shit talking about, well, we're done building. It's time to like go get after it and whatever. Like, I'm still waiting. And it's like, this is a very young, exciting team, but they also are in a tough neighborhood. The AL East doesn't sleep, all right? So I feel like if they're playing in the Central, and you're just like, let's add Craig Kimbrell and, and whatever, oh, okay. But they don't play in the AL Central. They play in the meanest streets in baseball, and every year we're like, where's the starting pitching? And every year, it seems, or not every year, yeah, like every last year. Mark, they've year, been good for right? one year. Yeah, but not every year. <laughs> what are you like talking about? Like last year, it was just like, where's the starting pitching? Like, you know, they sort of make a couple moves, like whatever. No one's excited about it. Now it's the off season, and yeah, still waiting. And and so, it, you know, they're sending signals out that they don't want to trade the prospects or whatever you know, to, to get some of the guys who might be available in the trade market. Like, okay, but it's like, you're still going to need to cover those innings with something of quality, right? And their bullpen took a bunch of hits last year. All right, guys got hurt. They got worn down. So 
I'm just kind of wondering, like, where, where are they going to fill these innings? I, I mean, I say that not to even hate on him or whatever. I think the Orioles are super exciting and interesting or whatever, but it just it feels to me like this is so obvious. Get some help there. And it just hadn't happened, really, like, at, at the level I feel like it needs to. I, I mean, am I nuts? I wrote about this a little bit like a few weeks ago, like, and this is kind of stupid for the purpose of this exercise because we're pretending the offseason is over or whatever. But like, I think with the Orioles, right, they're in a position where they can be patient. Like, they're not going to sign Blake Snell. I mean, maybe they will, but they're not going to sign Blake Snell, right? They're not going to like spend the money to do that. That's just not the way that they have done business. If they're going to acquire an elite pitcher, it's going to be through a trade. And the question is if that's in the next six weeks or if it's in the next, you know, six months and it's something that they end up doing at the deadline. I think the problem with as you further kick the can down the road or as the, you know, the execs call it, possess optionality, you might miss out on opportunities. Uh, and so the idea, though, is that you're well positioned to strike, you know, whenever an opportunity arises and so that you're not, you know, sort of locked in. And so th- this is just a way of saying, like, look, I, you know, we talk, talk a lot about the Dodgers on here, but like there was a lot of times during, you know, the, the periods before 2020 where it's like, how come the Dodgers aren't on Harper? How come they're not on Machado? You know, oh, man, they missed on Cole. Oh, they can't swing a trade for Lindor. Like they can't swing a trade for Stanton. Like what are they doing? And then it's like, oh, hey, Mookie Betts just fell into our laps. Like that's nice, right? And so the Orioles could be in a position where it's like, why are they not like just getting this deal done for Dylan Cease? And then you look up in July and it's like, hey, Corbin Burns is actually a pretty good guy at the top of their rotation. So I, I don't – I'm not too critical of that because I feel like they have probably enough bulk in their rotation to be perfectly fine, I think, without adding a number one. The question becomes if you don't make a move now and you don't make a move this summer, it starts to be like, hey, are you you know, are you ever going to you know kind of get after it, right? Are you, like, are you ever going to make – do the hard thing? of you know cutting back you know of of reducing this prospect surplus i guess i don't know i'm more confused by them signing craig kimbrell (laughs) i don't mean to be rude to craig kimbrell who like was maybe the best reliever of you know the past whatever 15 years there's clearly something that they see with him that having watched him for the past couple years that my eyes do not uh correlate with but, like, Grant, am I wrong? You know what I mean? Like, when 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 teams, like, clearly, like, the Orioles have a lot of, like, brain power in the way they make decisions, right? They're smart guys, all that sort of stuff. Like, when you see a team that you perceive as smart doing something that a team that you would perceive as being on the less intellectually rigorous side, i.e., like, hey, let's sign the nine-time closer, even though every time we've watched him, it appears incredibly challenging for him to get someone out. Like, you're clearly, you know what I mean? One year, $13 million for Kimbrell. Like, that's kind of like worth the flyer, where if he kicks it back into to Kimbrell's shape of a few years ago and you, you get that uh, shortened game a little bit, like, you're taking a gamble. Is that going to happen? Maybe not. Probably not. But for $13 million, that's kind of uh, uh, the standard for just a generic middle reliever almost uh, on the open market. So I don't mind that necessarily. I just, I can't believe that people would subject themselves to his style of pitching. That, that's the aesthetic. What I'm, like, that's seriously. What I'm saying. Yeah, like, I, he's he's good. He's valuable. He helps. Uh, but, like, I can't imagine having a stake in the game that he's pitching in. Watching him pitch, watching him trying to, because he's generally successful. I'm not trying to hate on him. I'm just saying, aesthetically, 
my baseball experience is rarely uh, improved by Craig Kimball. Yeah. I, Nick, Nick Bacoro, friend of the pod from the Arizona Republic, like during the NLCS, he was talking about watching Kimball and he was just like, he has to work so hard for every single out. And yeah, I am not sure why you would subject your club to that experience unless you are just looking at the raw data and saying like, look, it doesn't matter what this like looks like. We know what this is, and we can input that into because I just can't, from an eye test level, understand making him the highest paid player on your team. Is thirteen million the highest paid player on the Orioles? Yikes. Okay, so I was going to agree with you a little bit where it comes to there is something to the idea of let's get three more months worth of data. Let's attack the trade deadline, knowing who's hot, knowing who is throwing the ball well. Knowing which of our prospects have superficially good stats, but we know that there's something under the hood where maybe we can swing a deal with them in mind. They're going to be more attractive to another team than our internal reports have. There's going to be more information. So I get that. And that's a viable strategy. But if your highest paid player is a middle reliever making middle reliever money, I know he's a closer, but like if that's your if that's your guy, maybe spend a little money. You know, if you're the Orioles, because it's such an easy, you can look at that roster and go, this team has it all except, and it's obvious what the except is. And I get that free agents are generally a bad idea, but sometimes you have to do the bad ideas in order, like you have to take the risk to get the reward and the rewards pretty darn valuable. Like even if they're not in the, the AL East, like this is a team that's a couple pieces away and it's not like ambiguous as to what those pieces are. I wonder if I'm being an old fogey and doing, oh, they're in the division. Because, like, you don't have to win a division anymore to, you know, obviously do well in the postseason. But, yeah, I mean, it it certainly doesn't hurt. And I think it's just weird to me that they're on this ascendance, right? And But they really haven't behaved like it, truly, except for letting the young kids go play and be good, right? Like, they they haven't chased the success by, by, you know, with, with... basically infusing it with money or devoting resources to get better players in to surround this core. Andy talks about the Dodgers and optionality, and obviously it's hard to argue with that. They have been one of the best run clubs in the sport for so long, okay? But also they weren't running payrolls at the Orioles level or anywhere close to it when they were practicing these ideas of optionality. They were still spending tons of money, right? And and you know, and I get that like their ownership group can do that, right? I get, I get it. And that the Orioles ownership group, maybe it's, they, they feel like it's a very different situation. I get it. But I can go along with that comp just because the disparity is so wide. I think surely the Orioles could spend more than this. Surely they could. But the thing is, though, is that financial disparity makes them, makes it more important that they get it right and don't just spend to spend and don't just trade to trade. You know, and so that almost handcuffs them more in a way, right? Because if they if they sign if the Dodgers sign, you know, whatever, like uh, I don't know, that doesn't prevent the Dodgers from doing anything, right? For the Orioles, if they all of a sudden have you know four sixty on their books, that might stop them from doing something. And so you have to be really, really targeted and really sure. So it actually increases the need for caution again. Or, you know, they could spend in conjunction with their revenues, pro labor, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> he just he just like was like 
spiritedly anti-labor right there. I'm not being and anti-labor. Now... I'm explaining why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> they work in a monopoly, Mark. The entire construct Yo, is anti-labor. I was just kidding. I was just trying to press a button. God. Jeez, did I hit it? Yeah, I don't know. I guess what I'm not giving him enough credit for is that John Means uh, is back, and he should be, yeah, he should be, uh, like, uh, to full strength. Uh, you, you've got Bradish, you've got Rodriguez. Uh, Dean Kramer had a good year last year, uh, very, you know, promising in a lot of respects. It, we're just talking about one spot, and that's where I get that they can't afford to, to whiff that often. I feel like they should be able to whiff once. You know what I mean? I think that they can handle one 460 or even like one 5100. Like, I feel like the Orioles, if they had that, they could go, uh, you know, ah, oh, raspberries, but they can still sign other players. I think they get one and their roster is set up to where that is the, the glaring holes. They've got like a 26 man roster and the, there's one spot on it where they can be really, really improved for this coming season and, and the postseason if they get there. Yeah, well, I think you, Grant Brisby, are giving them that authority. It's not clear if John Angelos is providing them that same authority to, like, whiff. Yeah, uh, I, I'm officially giving them that authority, by the way. Hey, friend of the pod, come on on anytime. Yeah, Who else is in this conversation? Well, what are the Cubs the doing? Are the Cubs good? I Like, I like Imanaga, but at the same time... How much do you like Imanaga? I like him a lot. I I think I think he's got uh, a deception that people aren't necessarily giving enough credit for. I think he's got a good mix of pitches. He struck out more guys last year than Yamamoto on um, both in, like number of strikeouts, but also rate. I think he's a sneaky, deceptive guy, and I think he really wanted to be on the Cubs, and now he is. It, they're better with him on it, but I I agree. Like Matt Chapman kind of fits that roster perfectly. So he's still out there. Let's see if they do it. But it's been a weird, quiet offseason for them. Yeah. And Monaga certainly deceived me into thinking he was going to get more than $53 million. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like yeah. the market cratered. Uh, yeah. I don't know. He could be good. Who knows? It's, it's t- you know, it's a lot tougher to – not a lot tougher, but, it, you know, it's it, there are some challenges in, in coming over. It's not as hard as it, as it used to be. But even then, like, what, okay, they won 83 games last year. Right. They clearly decided that moving on from David Ross and bringing in Craig Council was worth, you know, the agita. But it's like, who's the best player on that team? Like Justin Steele? You know, like it's just kind of unclear. Like, are they, you know, are they ready for prime time or not? And they haven't done much to, you know, change kind of that perception. So they're a club who, like, still has, you know, I think Jed Hoyer said this weekend they're in the fourth inning of the offseason, which, like, Sure, makes sense. I'd say it's probably closer to the fifth, but, you know, I don't want to quibble. Um, you know, so, like, I, I just don't know how adding Matt Chapman. I don't, <laughs> it fits, though. It, it fits. fits. It, yeah, it – whoo. Yeah, that's – I don't know. He's a he's a really good defender, and but the, 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 the bat. It's a rough – he's a rough player to peg. He's a rough player to, like, get excited about. But he's also really good, but he's also, yeah, the bat, you know, the, the contact, where's the contact, but he's really good. And, you know, look at the war, but also, it's almost like he's the, the hitting version of Craig Kimbrell, or it's just aesthetically. Infield Cody Bellinger. Because you know Bellinger's going to play plus defense. Now, he obviously, his swings are, like, the, the, the ups and downs are more pronounced even than Chapman. Although Chapman was, like, had, like, a 650 OPS after April this past year. So that's injured Bellingerian, you know, 
territory. When you're looking at free agents, especially the ones who get there, you know, entering their 30s, man, it's like, it's it's a scary proposition sometimes if you're, you know, anti-labor. I'm just thinking about when Matt Chapman and Matt Olson were on the same team. <laughs> and then you're if you were to ask me, like, which one of those two would you have, like, a little bit of hesitation giving a long-term deal to? Right. I wouldn't have said Matt Chapman. I would have said Matt Olson. Right. Yeah. Like, so I don't it, know. If I wouldn't. I would have said. I, I mean, I don't. The point is, like, it was a fun exercise then. And it's kind of fun now because, like, you know, all these things about Matt Chapman is like he's undeniably a really good ball player, undeniably going to help a team win more ball ballgames. Uh, but also, yeah, it's not a straightforward case when it comes to this context of what you say, Grant, tough payer to play or, or to pay player to pay. Yeah. Like tough player to pay. So, yeah. Um, I don't agree with that. And, it, and it's it's odd, except, you know, in the case of the Chicago Cubs, boy, does it fit, right? Doesn't it? Is it not? Like, that's, it seems like it, it, it really clicks in. So Wait, so know. you're telling me there was a team that had Olsen at first and Chapman at third? <laughs> Wild. Did they, have a, yeah. did they have a shortstop? Yeah. Wild, no, yeah. That's, yeah, crazy, right? Wild stuff. Wild stuff. Uh, I'm going to switch to a different team because – I'm going to list all the free agents that they've brought in from outside the organization. Here it comes. Uh, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. And that's it. That is all the Blue Jays have done from the re-signed Kevin Kiermaier. Um, I was going to say, they brought Kiermaier back. That's it, though, yeah. As far as, as like, from outside the organization, they got one utility infielder. They're going to roll. It's uh, Alec Manoa. Uh, He's still in the rotation as of now. Um, So good for him. Uh, I think the Blue Jays maybe could be doing more. It's almost like they're an advanced version of the Orioles, but they're not winning as much. But they've they've got so many pieces, and you just wonder, where's the urgency? Okay, so you think they should add a pitcher? Basically. I think so. I mean, you know, they've they've got a pretty full rotation, right? And you do you don't want to give up on Manoa, right? Uh, quite yet. So I get it. I get it. I think that there's like something. They should be doing something. And I don't know if it's in the bullpen. I don't know if it's just a, an outfielder that helps make Kiermaier less of a full-time guy because I, I don't expect him to hit like he did last year. I don't know what it is. I just, if I'm a, a Blue Jays fan, I'm acting like the Giants fans are right now. You know what I mean? The problem for the Blue Jays is similar to what the solution is, which is they need their guys to be their guys. They need Vlad Guerrero to be closer to the MVP version rather than the 780 OPS version, right? They need, you know, like Bichette to be, you know, a six-win player. They, you know, they need George Springer, and I know this is going to is challenging just given his injury history, but they need him on the field more. You know, they need Biggio to take a step forward, right? They need Var- they need Dalton Varsho to be, you know, kind of the player that the, the Diamondbacks and everyone expected him to be. And I, he probably will be pretty good this year. I think Varsho is actually a, a good bit, a good bet to be like an above average hitter, I think, in 2024. Um, but that's, you know, those, the answers are like right on the roster. The problem is that when you have watched the roster underperform for like three years in a row, right? Or like what, however many it is where you're kind of like, hey, this is, you know, the movie is here. You know, last year was the trailer. Now it's the movie. And it's like... This is, you know, this movie is Geely. It's not Geely. It's more like um, <laughs> Triple Frontier. You ever, you ever see Triple Frontier? No. Triple Frontier is on Netflix, man. It's, uh, it's got Ben Affleck. It's got Oscar Isaac. It's got uh, Charlie Hunnam. Um, and it's got another handsome guy. And uh, they're all like sort of, uh, uh, you know, former soldiers who basically go on this like um, – 
go on this raid and it's either Brazil or Mexico to like steal money from a drug lord. And it's just like, you saw the trailer and you're like, this movie should be awesome. Look at all these awesome people. And then you watch a movie and you're like, eh, you know, <laughs> and that's kind of the Blue Jays where you're like, look at this cast. And then you watch and you're like, yeah, it didn't, I don't know, something didn't click. And so that's like the, you know, yeah, sure. They can, you know, add Blake Snell, whatever. You're better with Blake Snell. But it's kind of like your team's on the floor, you know? Yeah. No, that's that's all fair. Uh, just real quick, I was reminded I saw a uh, bootleg Bart Simpson as Dick Tracy shirt. It reminded me of the summer where everyone's just like Dick Tracy, Dick Tracy, <laughs> Dick Tracy. And like that's kind of one of those movies where you look at it and it's like, man, that movie, it's, it's going to be, it's got Madonna and Al Pacino and like, you know, it's, the makeup's wild and just, <laughs> no one's talking about it t- today. Anyway, yeah, I, I get it. And your point about Varsha is good because I I forgot how poorly he hit uh, in his first year at the Blue Jays. He had an 85 adjusted OPS, uh, 674. He was still worth like four wins. He's a fascinating player. Really good defender. Yeah. And uh, I I know just like being around the um, being around the uh, the the Diamondbacks during the World Series and, you know, during that run, like, they were continuously talking up. They're like, no, like, Varsho, because there's a couple of times, we could, you know, they, they would kind of be asked about, you know, the trade uh, with Moreno, um, you know, because it looked like it was a clear win for the Diamondbacks, right? And, you know, on the record, you know, on back, they were just basically like, no, we think Varsho's a really good player. Like, he just did, you know, we preferred Gabby and Teoscar for a variety of reasons, but like, or what, no, sorry, Lourdes Gurriel, excuse me. But, you know, like, th- there was just a sense of like, no, like, Varsho is, is going to be a good player. The one thing I, I didn't like the, with the Blue Jays uh, is that they got him, and the whole point of Dalton Varsho is that he's a freak who can be a gold glove type catcher and a gold glove type center fielder, which is should be illegal, but they didn't use him at catcher. I mean, I get why. They have they, Yeah, they know, have too many. I mean, yeah, yeah, but that's like if I'm going to pay the premium that they did for Dalton Varsho, don't you want to like sneak him in at catcher a couple of times? Uh, fun, I don't know. I mean, maybe with just the injury risk. I mean, and and it's also it's like when you have Kevin Kiermeyer, right? His value goes down even more because you know he's playing left field, you know, instead of you know primary center field. But he still was like a four win player as a you know fifteen percent worse than the average hitter. So that suggests that if you know he maintains defensive level and gets closer to average, like he becomes you know a potential you know real stud, and that's and that's that's the path it feels yeah. like for the Blue Jays, right? It's just internal improvement. You know, you talk, that's a great point because like they have been the team that everybody's like they're going to be good, they're going to be good, and, and there's, they're just short, right? They're just short, and and it's oftentimes been their guys, right? Like and Manoa being obviously the most extreme example of this this season, just sort of not being what you'd expect them to be. So, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr., obviously one of those people, they didn't settle on, on a salary this year. Like the, the fact that they could end up in some kind of hearing with this guy for arbitration. Like think about how destructive that could be. Now, I don't think they're a file and trial team, right? I think they, like, they'll probably keep negotiating because I think they did that with even like Bichette last year. But the difference is something like a million and a half dollars right now. So it, it tells you just about, like at least that sends a signal to me. They have some of these feelings about Vlad Guerrero Jr. too. They they see that like they're not quite sure like what they're gonna get out of him or whatever. Like, you know, I don't know. It it it's, it certainly sends a, sends a sign. I'm gonna read you Vlad Guerrero's OPSs by season. Ready? Seven seventy two, seven ninety one, a thousand and two, eight eighteen, seven eighty eight. Seems like now again he's twenty four years old. 
right? So, like, I'm not saying this is the player he's going to be. I am suggesting when it was written that he was a better hitter than his father, my brain exploded. (laughs) Now, like, he could be a 900,000 guy. But what he is right now is not that. And so they, you know, yeah, it, it could be, you know, he's demonstrated who he is at this level. It's, it's kind of on him to level back up. He's shown it's possible. He's shown it's possible to be both. But he's been one version f- four out of five times. That's all fair. And I think we're going to end on that dour note. Um, my, my goodness. No, this, this has been uh, episode 80 of The Roundtable. We'll be back in a couple weeks. See you then. Go Birds. I was very wrong. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.